I'm Rachel Perkins, and you're listening to the Nordic Nation podcast from Faster Skier. Last weekend, roughly 200 intrepid skiers lined up at the base of Mount Crested Butte Ski Resort, awaiting a midnight race start that would send them 40 miles north through the backcountry of the Elk Mountains to Aspen, Colorado. Among the masses, most of whom were on lightweight ski mountaineering or alpine touring setups, was a pair looking to return the Grand Traverse ski race to its cross-country ski routes. The pair was Simi Hamilton and Ben Coons, wearing Fisher skate skis that had seen World Cup airtime. For those unfamiliar with the Grand Traverse, it's an iconic backcountry ski race put on by the Crested Butte Nordic Center with deep roots in local cross-country ski lore. You'll hear more about the race, its history, and how the night went down during the conversation. But those new to the concept of backcountry cross-country may want to check out the show notes for a closer look at the route and some photos that will inspire you to take up the challenge in future years. Before we get into the call, here's a quick note from our episode sponsor, the Craftsbury Outdoor Center. Last call. The Craftsbury Green Racing Project ski and biathlon programs are currently accepting applications for the 2022-23 training year, as well as for their summer U23 training programs. Applications will be due by end of day on Sunday, April 10th, and decisions will be made by April 17th. In exchange for coaching, use of training facilities, and travel support, GRP year-round and summer U23 athletes are asked to do work that contributes to the mission and operation of the center. New this year, there will be both on-campus and off-campus program options for year-round GRP members, with the off-campus option offering greater flexibility for work outside the center. Read more about the team and find more information on the application process at their website, greenracingproject.com. Remaining questions may be addressed to grpski at craftsbury.com and grpbiathlon at craftsbury.com. Now back to the episode. To get us going, I'm hoping um, to do a little introduction and um, updates on retirement. <laughs> um, so, Simi, I'll, uh, I'll go to you first. You are more recently retired, uh, but you can kind of talk through just what you've been up to and um yeah what's going on for you guys <laughs> yeah i let's see i'm simi hamilton i'm from aspen colorado um i was on the national team for about 11 years and skied world cups that whole time and this is my first year being fully retired i'm building a house uh down in basalt which is about 30 minutes down the valley from aspen um and I've never built a house before, but, uh, I'm slowly figuring it out. So, uh, it's been fun. I've been, you know, obviously staying, um, as active as I, as I can with this project. Um, but I've been, been doing a little coaching for AVSC, um, getting out ski touring this winter a little bit, um, riding my bike a bunch last winter and just kind of trying to, trying to stay outside and have fun. So, um, I'm not, not doing a lot of racing anymore, but, uh, but still just trying to enjoy the mountains and being home and getting outside. And Ben, I'll kick it over to you. Uh, okay. I am Ben Coons. I, um, have been retired now for 11 years from ski racing. <laughs> so I don't, I don't really know what I've been up to in the last 11 years. Um, not much, but, uh, actually I know Simi from, we first met way back when in Lake Placid Junior Olympics, um, in 2003 maybe maybe four um anyway and then we we skied um against each other in college out east um and then 
have, um, yeah, just kind of known each other, been buddies for a long time, and now we find ourselves um, finally living kind of in the same place. Nice to have see me move back to the valley, um, the Roaring Fork Valley, um, and actually be around um, more than just just springtime. Uh, yeah, and so we decided to team up and, and do this race. Um, and it seems like you guys have, have done kind of a fair amount of other adventuring together um, over the years. And uh, some of which I, I feel like the, the scale for some of the skiing objectives that you guys have tackled and um, there's kind of like a, a partnership dynamic, right? You kind of like are looking for the right, um, having the right partner in some of those kinds of outings is kind of important, um, whether that's doing a race like the Grand Traverse or just, you know, doing a big backcountry ski line or something like that. Um and I'm curious if you can kind of just talk about like what the evolution of just, yeah, getting out and kind of getting after it in the backcountry a little bit together has been like for you guys and, and what, what you value in terms of that partnership, um, just as, yeah, whether it's for this race or, or kind of just like adventure buddies. Um, <laughs> sure. Yeah, I guess, um, I, I'll stop soon. Um, I think, I mean, it helps having like a similar ish background, um, with, uh, you know, kind of nordic racing but a lot of other things sprinkled in there i think both simi and i are are like kind of okay at a lot of things um you know we're not like really good at any one thing um well simi was okay at skiing um but i i think we like you know dabble in a lot of things um and so can can kind of move through the mountains fairly well together um and and then i think more than that maybe it's just like being uh I don't know, having similar objectives, um, kind of being pretty laissez-faire, um, having, not caring too much maybe um, about objectives and um, caring more about having a good time and kind of finding some interesting stuff. And um, so far, it seems like it's it's continues to be fun. Um, I think there was someone asked us at the start of the GT if like what we're gonna do for conflict resolution. <laughs> and we both kind of laughed and said we hadn't thought about that at all. Um, which I, you know, kind of was how it played out. Um, but yeah, go for it, Sam. Yeah, I, I think I have like a pretty similar sentiment as Ben has. Um, you know, we've we've gotten to know each other really well over the last bunch of years. Um, you know, like you said, we kind of grew up racing each other a little bit at the junior level, but I don't think it was until Ben moved to the Roaring Fork Valley that we really started hanging together and um you know i think any talk to any any like outdoor athlete and especially i think like climbers and skiers um and they'll tell you how important it is to be able to do things in you know high consequence places or kind of harder harder objectives harder challenges um in the mountains do those things successfully and safe and it you know, that really requires like a good partnership with at least one person. Um, and Ben has definitely kind of become, uh, that, that partner for me. Um, you know, I think our other buddy, uh, Lyndon is kind of our, our, uh, our third leg in, in a dynamic like that. Um, unfortunately with the Grand Traverse, you know, I don't think they allow three people. I think it's only two and window happened to be working and gone. So it worked out just fine that, that Ben and I could do it together. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been really cool to just, uh, kind of develop that relationship with Ben and, um, you know, it's, 
I think you get, you get doubly lucky when you meet someone who you can travel in the mountains with safely and efficiently, but also they're like one of your best friends and you have a great time while you're doing it. So, um, that's for sure been, you know, our relationship that we've built. And I think we're, we're both really lucky that we can just go out and have, have a great time. And like Ben said, um, you know, I don't think we're, we're not like super, we don't really care that much about like setting on, you know, crazy records or like doing first descents or descents of anything. Like it's more for us just about like finding a good fun challenge that we're into and, um, and figuring out a way to complete that together. And, uh, so the Grand Traverse was, was something for us that kind of fit that mold. And we had been talking about it for a lot of years. So, um, it, uh, yeah, it was great. It, uh, it was fun. Um, and getting into kind of the, the history of the race a little bit. Um, so it, you know, starts at midnight in the base of Mount Crested Butte and, um, it's following kind of a historic mail route, um, that connects the mining towns of Crested Butte to Aspen and you're crossing, you know, two 12,000 foot passes. You spend a lot of time up pretty high. Um, and yeah, so the the race, I guess, uh, the history of the race, it started 1998, and the first two winners were Travis Moore and Pierre Willie, who are kind of like local legends within the Roaring Fork Valley. Um, and I think, I don't know whether this is true or not, but the, the kind of lore that I always heard was that when they made it to the top of Aspen Mountain or, or maybe the finish, like the, the crews weren't even set up um, for them because they were so far ahead of kind of the projected finish time um and I think you know like for me living here in the Roaring Fork Valley for the last decade almost and um spending some time in Crested Butte especially as the Nordics here it always kind of felt like a a rite of passage to do the Grand Traverse um and so I'm, I'm curious like Simi in 1998 you were I don't know middle school high school um and Travis I uh, was coaching for AVSC um Pierre, I don't know if Pierre was ever a coach, but he's um, very talented Nordic skier and, and prominent family and member of the Nordic community here. So I'm kind of curious just like what your your memories of that um, were and kind of just like what your relationship was like with the race and kind of how you viewed it over the years, just growing up here and, and seeing how the race has kind of changed. Yeah, I mean, it's funny, like um, when you grow up in a place like the Rolling Fork Valley, you have these, these like really iconic events and kind of challenges that you always hear of. And, um, you know, the people that you hear about doing them and, you know, winning a race like the Grand Traverse, like they, they always kind of stand out as like heroes to you, I think, especially when you're really young. So I think in, you know, in 98, the, the, the first year of the Grand Traverse, I think I was 11. And, um, I, I remember like, hearing what these guys had done and that they had won it. And, um, you know, Trav was one of my, my junior coaches and Pierre was just a really good family friend of ours. Um, but I remember just thinking that like, you know, they were, they, they seemed to be like these larger than life heroes just because they had, they had won that race. And I think like you also, you know, when you're that young, especially you're like, Holy shit, people can actually travel from Crestview to Aspen on skis in the winter in the middle of the night and they can do it in like eight or nine hours. That's just like, it just blows your mind. Um, so I think when I heard about that, I was just, I was, I was just so shocked and amazed. And, um, you know, I really looked up to those guys and it's kind of funny, like 
I oftentimes think about, you know, now I'm 34 years old and when they won that race in 98, like they were, I think way younger than both Ben and I were, but they just seemed like these just like old masters of the mountain. Um, and you know, they were 25 and probably didn't know what the hell they were doing, but they just went for it. And, uh, and so now I'm thinking like, Oh shit, am I, am I viewed as like one of those guys now to the community? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we didn't win it, but, um, yeah, it's kind of funny and it's, you know, it's cool how, uh, just these we're surrounded by these incredible athletes that have done really well in, in races like the traverse and these other cool things around here. And, uh, and they're also just like really close friends and mentors. And, um, you know, we've been able to, to build pretty cool, cool relationships with them over the years. So, uh, yeah, it's, 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 we're very lucky to have such a small mountain community and, um, be able to really share all those stories and experiences at the end of the day together. And I think they were on like a middle-edged cross-country ski from my understanding. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like Ben and I, we just experienced this at the Traverse. Like, um, nowadays you, you, you show up to, to a race like the Grand Traverse and like, you know, you have the athlete check-in and um, you end up kind of mingling with all the other teams a whole lot, like the, you know, the day before, two days before. And everyone like was so, they're so mind blown that we were like showing up on cross country skis and like, you just, you want to like sit them down and tell them the history of the race and be like, no, this is, this is how it all started. Like 15, 20 years ago, you know, nobody was on, uh, Ronda Nay skis or Telemark skis, like basically everyone was on cross country skis and, you know, it's just such a foreign thing for people to see nowadays. So it's cool to, I mean, it's, it's like a little sad that it's totally flipped and you understand why, like the technology is, you know, comes such a long ways and, um, you know, you can, you can skate really well on like run it on schema race stuff now. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it's fun to like, just feel like you're, you're kind of revisiting like the, the roots of, of an event, like, like the Grand Traverse and, you know, it's, it's like going out and playing, playing a, you know, major league baseball game and like wool knickers and, you know, some, some throwback stuff like that. It's like, this is how it was, you know, originally done. And, um, hopefully, you know, getting, getting second place was like on, on skate skis was a, a bit of a salute to, um, just how, how kind of pioneering it was 20 years ago to be, you know, doing a 40 mile, um, high alpine backcountry race on, on Nordic gear. Yeah. Well, Nickers, except they're like world cup level Fisher, <laughs> Fisher skates. <skate. laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, Simi, was this your first time doing the winter race? Yes. Yep. Okay. This is my first time, mostly just because I've been, uh, or I guess like exclusively because I've just been gone for the world cup every single spring. Um, but it's always been, you know, something that I've had so many friends and family do. And, you know, I've always been following the results when I've, uh, when I was on the world cup still racing. Um, and I remember when I was like, you know, between the ages of 10 and 14 and too young to do it. Like I'd always, um, I'd always just every year I'd be like, God, I cannot wait to do this race. Um, so it was pretty cool to finally be able to do it and, uh, and do it with, you know, with one of my best buddies, um, who's, who's kind of a veteran at it now. Yeah. Yeah. I was hoping Ben, you can kind of talk through your, your history with the race. Is this your sixth 
time, I think. Yeah. <clears throat> and I, I remember 2013 was, I think, the f- first year, maybe the first winter, I remember you racing, and you raced with Lyndon, and you ripped your pants coming down Aspen Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> good memory. Um, yeah, so I actually, I, I first did it in 2010, um, and I was like fresh off a of race season, and I had a friend, um, Evan Sargent, who people on in this scene probably know as Ida's sister, um, and he was going to do it with Elsa, who's also Ida's sister, um, and she bailed, so I jumped in last minute, and it was, I'd maybe been on like skins on cross-country skis, like two or three times ever before that um and it was a reverse that year meaning that the every conditions um forced us to turn around and so you just go from cd out and back um and uh yeah so that was the first year and that year was it was kind of like there was a handful of the top guys maybe five or ten out of 200 teams that had schema stuff and everyone was kind of like looking at it and being like oh this is so euro and so crazy um you know i think it was like the f1s and some ski traps skis or maybe some of the early um dnas from, from dina fit um but otherwise people were on skate skis classic skis i actually raced it on a pair of zeros that year um which i'm not sure if that was the right move or not um and there was a bunch of middle-aged cross-country skis some fish scales you know the kind of the whole the whole gamut some tele skis some a lot of like kind of at the time they were the, the lighter touring skis. Um, people want frame bindings, full buckle boots, the, the whole deal. Um, and and people kind of like making some franken stuff too, like taking cuffs, cuffs off touring boots and, you know, mix, mixing and matching a little bit, um, three pin bindings, that sort of stuff. Um, and then, yeah, I guess I, I raced it in um, 13. I, I came down, uh, I ripped my pants coming down Ajax. Uh, I came over a blind roll, saw a groomer right in front of me um and wiped out ripped my pants um and then a couple other years for reverses i think um broke some broken skis in there always some good adventures um and then i think last time i did it before this time was maybe five years ago with my brother um we got third um on a reverse here as well and I listened to the interview you guys did with Laura from um, CB Nordic, who's one of my good friends and a wonderful person uh, before the race. And she was asking that it kind of sounded like Simi had kind of asked asked you, Ben, um, but to to kind of get get this going. Um, but I feel like Ben, I've heard you talk for years about how like when Simi retires, that's going to be the year where you guys go do the Grand Traverse together. <laughs> so can you set that story straight in terms of uh, yeah, just uh, how this came to be and kind of when when the idea of doing it together got going. Oh, I actually, I yeah, I don't know what the real story is, um, but I, I think it's you know there's kind of maybe an assumption of there's like a lot of assumptions of like oh when Simi stops skiing, you know then we can have some fun, um, <laughs> kind of thing, just like running around the mountains, not just in like a one month window um, of April, but um, some other times too. Um, yeah, so I, I guess there was maybe that assumption that um, we would do it together. Uh, I told him uh, I was like. I was like, Sim, you should find someone who's legitimately fast and trained and, you know, less than 10 years or a decade out of, of ski shape. Um, but uh, he got me instead. So. <laughs> 
And can you guys talk, start talking through the race? So um, I know, I think you guys skated off the start. Um, and I guess to kind of explain the, the course a little bit, you, you climb kind of up onto the shoulder of Mount Crested Butte, descend down into a river valley um, behind the mountain and, and kind of follow that to another river valley, eventually leading you kind of up back into the, the Elk Mountains. Um, but in terms of kind of just like the, the planning and, and deciding um, like when to skin versus when to skate, which I guess maybe we should kind of explain like you, you have your cutting skins to the width of your cross-country skis um, and they're full length. Um, kind of like three quarter width, okay. um, three quarter length. Um, and then a, so two pairs of skins, um, some skinny skins, which are like a centimeter wide that are made to be half length. And then a, the wider skins, which are, yeah, maybe, um, 35 millimeters, um, by three quarters the length. And in terms of just like planning, so deciding, I guess I, I imagine that just what the conditions are like kind of goes factors a lot into that, but just, um, kind of, yeah, figuring out when, when you're going to skin and when you're going to skate and what that all looks like as you're kind of moving through, through the start of the race there. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the, the ideal race is you get to skate most of it. Um, and it's tough cause it's early spring in Colorado. Um, and so it's, and you're going through a bunch of different elevation changes. And so you get a bit of everything, unfortunately. Um, some years a bit of an others, um, but that's kind of the carrot that, that keeps um, me coming back at least is this idea that you get perfect skate skiing the whole way and you just got to knock it out in a couple hours. Um, the reality is you get like, it was 38 degrees at the start at midnight um, at 9,000 feet. We got isothermal snow. Um, we got frozen crust. We got wind slab. Um, we got blown powder. We got zipper crust. And then we got some frozen cat track at the end. So kind of all the, all the good types of snow um, mixed in there. Um, and so, yeah, the, the skinning versus skating was a bit of read and run. You have some kind of general idea. Um, skating off the start was Simi's idea, which was a great idea uh, because it's a pretty funny scene for a race that's like between six and 16 hours. People go way too fast off the start. <laughs> and like, like this is true with a lot of races, long races like this, people are excited to jump into the bit. Um, but it was nice to get away clean on Nordic skis, not have a transition at the top and then get to ski the whole downhill by ourselves, which is usually pretty hectic. Um, it's midnight, people are zipping around um, fast on icy groomers. Um, and then we skated all of East River, which is a gradual downhill with some side hills. Um, most of the top teams on Schemo Gear do this as well. Um, and then started skating up to East River, then transitioned to skins uh, a little bit after the John and Cam, the eventual winners of the race, um, transitioned to skins. And they were skins all the way to Star Pass ski down star and then skins pretty much all the way from the bottom of star to the top of gold hill and then um no skins pretty much skating all the way back to to aspen um i think in a, in a better year you'd, you'd want to skate further up friends and ideally skate all the way from taylor flats back to aspen um, i think last year that's kind of like might have been your, uh, last year might have been your year to to go do that yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's like, it's one of those things where you get like one good year every 10 years. And so it means you have to ski, you know, nine years of breakable crust. 
Yeah, every Rachel, you're like you're probably like the fifteenth person to tell us that <laughs> yeah. like last year like, for that. <laughs> and I think it was like a full moon last year as well too. Like my friend Molly said that she and her partner, I don't think they turned their headlamp headlamp on once the entire race. And uh and it was just like, you know, big snow year, perfect crust, like star wasn't too too tricky to get down. Um but you know, I think like hopefully we'll have another year like that at some point in the near future. And I think like, I mean, the biggest takeaway for me this year um, was like, if we, if we did what we did this year on skate skis and, you know, we weren't, we still have like a, a good time six fifty. you know, I think we were 35 minutes behind Cam and John. Um, but just knowing what the conditions were like out there for us and like how, we got down star pass and how like isothermic and rotten all of the East river was. And, um, you know, the fact that Taylor flats was too soft to skate across, like all those things. Um, I'm just like, Holy crap. Like, you know, I definitely believed before we did it this year that the record was breakable on skate skis and you could have one of the best races ever on skate skis. But now I'm like, absolutely sure of it. Um, and it just, it, it kind of blows my mind, like how, when another one of those years comes along, knock on wood, hopefully it does. Um, but when another season like that comes or another race day like that comes along, like the one they saw last year, like, uh, you know, if someone is, is prepared and, and a little bit of luck on their side with equipment stuff, like it's going to be, it's going to be pretty, um, remarkable what, what they can do on skate skis and, and hopefully that'll be us, but who knows? <laughs> And, um, you guys ended up second, uh, which is, yeah, 650, still, still very respectable, uh, roughly like 35 minutes behind, um, Cam Smith, who is from Crested Butte and John Gaston, who lives on the Aspen side. Um, and both of those guys are, you know, incredibly accomplished ski mountaineering athletes. I think Cam won every event at national championships this year. And, um, yeah, it's some really strong international results, um, and it, the you, your tracker wasn't working. I don't know if you knew this, uh, or at least it wasn't working in the morning when I kind of logged on to to take a peek and see what was happening. Um, but can you talk through kind of just? I, I think there was kind of some leapfrogging happening early on uh, before they were eventually kind of able to pull away. So what was that like, kind of happening at the front? Yeah. Um... So we, like Ben said, we skated off the line and we had a really good, really good start. And we found ourselves like a few minutes ahead of those guys when we were coming down um, the East River. And I mean, it's, it, the GT is kind of cool because like there's all these like big, long kind of wide open sections, like a lot of valley skiing. And uh, you can just see like, you look back and you just see like, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of of headlamps chasing you and um so it's pretty cool like to find ourselves you know we're headed down east river conditions aren't they aren't that good for skating but we were still we were we we're doing pretty well and you know you look back and you can see all these headlamps and then you can see john and guest or uh, john and cam um you know kind of kind of hunting you down behind you a few minutes a few minutes after you and uh you know we ended up like not yeah, we not we didn't have great crust in the east, so we were breaking through a lot on our skinnier skis. Um, I ended up breaking a pole, 
kind of towards the end of the East River. Um, it was actually on an uphill. I just fell into this this hole of rotten snow, and my one of my poles just got caught in the crust and snapped right there. Um, so we ended up like stopping to fix that, and uh, it actually like it kind of it's kind of good timing because um, we were a little bit turned around because you know there was no moon, it was pitch black, and there's like there's a couple must make turns and one of them was just super confusing. So we ended up stopping there, fixing my pole and John and Cam caught us there and kind of, uh, helped us, you know, figure out, figure out the route. Like we all, we all talked about it for a second and figured out which way was the right way to go. Um, so they jumped ahead of us there. I was able to fix my pole and we ended up catching them pretty, pretty quickly and easily again. Um, just because we were, kind of on better uh crest skiing conditions and terrain right after that so we actually just kind of skated past them as we started up east brush creek um and then they ended up switching to skins well before we did we kept skating all uh a ways up and then when we transitioned to skins they were just kind of right behind us and ended up just catching us um kind of a couple minutes after after we transitioned to skins and then that was the last time we saw them um but, you know, we, I think our, our game plan was worked really well. We ended up like transitioning in a, in a really good spot. I thought like we didn't skate too far and we didn't, um, we didn't put skins on too early. So, um, I think it all, it all worked out pretty well. And like I said earlier, you know, it wasn't ideal conditions for skate skis, but we just, we wanted to go for it regardless of the conditions. And it was, it was close to being great, but it definitely wasn't great. So it'll, uh, it'll keep us coming back for for another try in the future, I think. And it sounds like the, the descending off of star pass was, uh, a little exciting on Nordic skis, like maybe some <laughs> survival skiing. Can you talk about that a little bit? Ben, you should uh, talk about it. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, I guess, so like with a couple reverses and then a couple times, um, skiing star pass look out, not in the GT, um, on my Nordic skis. I, I've, I've probably gone over, you know, four, four or five times, um, and on Nordic skis. And this was far and away the worst. Um, it's always pretty spicy. I mean, the pass is, um, cause it's like, is it North facing must be, um, you know, 12,000 feet, but it's kind of a bowl. So you, you get a little bit of Northeast and Northwest in there and fills in with snow and, the the course officials do an amazing job. They they camp out there for the whole week doing every forecasting and cutting the the corners um, and just like really kind of prepping it all. But it's still you know it feels like the mountains. It's kind of wild. You're up there. It's I don't know. It's like two or three in the morning, um, and um, they have a bunch of lights that run the whole way down the pass or all the way down the valley, and so you can kind of see where you're going um, and see how far you have to go. Um, and it was yeah a couple you know drop drop into the cornice and then you kind of into it and it's it was oh, you know terrible breakable crust um so you'd, you'd be supported for a little bit and then you drop through to your knees face plant get back up um and just kind of repeat that the whole way down and it's um you know like hard crashes like kind of whiplash head hurts body hurts sort of crashes um pretty surprised neither of us broke skis i think um you know there's this like certain like finesse to crashing and not breaking your skis and I, I was thinking about it. I think you know if I started skiing racing when I was 15 and 
probably broken at least one pair of skis every year since then, maybe two. So, you know, broken 20 or maybe 30 pairs of skis. Um, Simi's probably done the same. Um, and so, you know, you get good at not breaking skis, uh, too. Um, and I think there was, um, somehow we didn't break skis. I think a lot of that was luck. Um, and it was, it was, yeah, it was hectic. Um, you're like one thing I think that, um, the scheme of skis have an advantage on is not only are they like faster descending, obviously, but you get recovery in a way that, um, that I'm sure if we were wearing harder monitors, how highest heart rate would be on, on the descents on that one. And a couple of those on Richmond, um, you're just like fully pumped, um, jacked up and, um, trying hard, uh, and it was, it was also at times comical because, uh, you know, it's, it's dark. And so you see Simi go zipping by his headlight and then just explode. And then I would zip by him and explode. And you're kind of zigzagging back and forth across this, um, you know, in the Alpine across this, this um, bowl uh, on silly little skis. Um, it's pretty, pretty silly. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of, I feel like it's kind of the conditions where you have to kind of just commit and like you're kind of committing to like straight lining and crashing over and over and there's not really much else you can do. Uh, totally. The, kind of the technique is like, yeah, the technique is like crashing well. Yeah. Um, and, and we probably, I don't know, like we crashed 20 times, maybe 30, you know, it was, and then also had some like really um, pretty fun saves to where you're nuking out of control, you know, one ski up in the air and somehow you pull it back and, fun remembering those as well did you guys have any other just logistical challenges in terms of like um i know it can be hard to keep your water water unfrozen um the fueling is kind of tricky when you're like starting a race at midnight and and racing through the night and it's cold and um yeah some of those other logistics like did that that side of things go pretty well or or how was how did that end up um yeah i think well we did freeze the water i i think we neither of us ate too much um you know, i had two shot blocks like packs of shot blocks um half a bar um and a, maybe a liter of water um and then the rest of mine froze um Simi had a little less than that um he let's see logistically um i mean there's some other really scary downhills on the oh, i guess Simi's skin also failed at one point um mine managed to stay on um i was i was definitely the weak link in the team uh and you know, i kind of felt like i'd spent most of the winter at the sea level not ski rate not skiing um, and i uh so simi was like at one point kind of turns to me and it's like hey are you bonking and i was like nope <laughs> like this is just my race base <laughs> um, and so he ended up literally carrying my backpack for a lot of my gear um for um, a good a good chunk of the race um so thank you simi for that um i was i was feeling pretty bad at, at certain points like bad like you know like idaho potato bad like really bad uh, i'll note too that like ben works a very full-time job and i just <laughs> <laughs> by that he means full-time <laughs> to be really busy these days but um obviously i'm still i'm i'm much closer to uh having just been a professional athlete than than he is at this point so i'm i'm riding a little bit of residual fitness uh that maybe he isn't but um you know i i think ben is like 
one of he's one of the few people in the world that can basically off the couch like any really hard adventure challenge in the mountains whether it's like running skiing riding kayaking whatever it is um he's he's a pretty damn good athlete and uh you know even if he's if he's not totally uh you know at the very height of of maybe where he was a little while ago he's at least pretty good at faking it still um so it, he he did he did just fine I'll, I'll throw that note in there retired skier but still professional sandbagger is kind of what i'm hearing exactly, exactly. <laughs> um last question for you guys and then we can wrap this up is just uh what's next in terms of do you guys have other objectives you're looking to accomplish this spring in terms of whether that's cross skiing or or backcountry skiing and um is the summer grand traverse on the table at all and what about next year's grand traverse Yeah. Um, you know, for me, uh, I'm, I definitely want to do like some more racing this summer, both on my bike and maybe some running. Um, I think I'm going to focus a little bit more, uh, on some bike stuff, some mountain bike stuff this summer. So that'll be pretty cool. Um, but in the, in the near future, um, the biggest thing that Ben and I have, have coming up is we're going to meet our buddy Lyndon, um, up in uh, British Columbia and do the uh, bugaboos to Rogers Pass Traverse, which is kind of this super, super classic um, ski mountaineering traverse that that goes about 80 miles in the Purcell Range and the Selkirk Range up in British Columbia. Um, and it's, you know, it kind of feels like a, like a rite of passage for, um, for any alpinist slash ski mountaineer. And it's been on our our radar as you know we have like i mentioned earlier kind of a little a little three-person posse of um you know just really loving to get out and do cool adventures together um so this kind of seemed like the the next logical thing to to try to get done and uh yes we're going to head up in a couple weeks and uh do like a a six-day traverse mission up there which would be which would be pretty cool so we're both we're both quite stoked about that and uh to be back with with our, um, you know, our missing link, Lindo, I think will be, would be pretty cool for, for that adventure. And that's all self-supported. So you guys are carrying all, carrying full packs and all that. Yeah, we're doing, um, we're going to do one food drop. So we'll, uh, we'll actually jump in the helicopter and, um, kind of fly, you know, a lot of the route and check it out a little bit from the air. And then we'll land at about what's going to hopefully be about halfway for us. And, um, and do a food cache just in a, a wooden crate, um, bury it in the snow so the bears don't get it, um, and then fly to the start. And uh, we're going to hopefully do it in about five days, six nights, or fi- five nights, six days. Um, so we'll carry kind of a, a couple days of food at a time um, and then restock at our cache. And, uh, yeah, we, um, you know, we've talked to some friends about about doing it they've done it and um it's just i think if you if you get a little lucky with weather and conditions i think it can be one of those one of those kind of life-changing experiences um so we're we're all pretty psyched about it ben did you have anything else for spring or summer you want to oh um yeah i'm pretty excited about the bugs rudges um oh just putzing around otherwise i think um you know trying to mix it up uh hopefully getting some more press skiing in um 
Uh, yeah, I think, um, and, and one other thing before we wrap it up, maybe because this is fastest gear and some Nordic skiers will listen to this, is I, I think um, it'd be really cool to see more like, you know, XC skiers coming back to this race. Um, like you said at the start, it used to be an XC race. Um, it's put on by the Nordic Council of Crest Butte. Um, and it'd just be awesome to see like a whole bunch of Nordic races and, and not just like old, crusty, um, washed up racers, like anyone on Nordic skis. You know, I think you don't necessarily need like a, a fancy, expensive new um, schema setup to do this race. You can just do it on, on whatever. Um, I, I did look up some real, real quick stats on the on the course and it the, so the gt is like 37 miles and the record's like around right around six hours the home and call is has about the same the 50k in the home and call so 30 miles has the same amount of verge almost exactly which is kind of crazy and that's you know that gets done in like two hours so i think the the schemo guys you know john and cam are world-class athletes and um hats off to them you know they'll chip away and get a blow six hours uh but i think if you get fast fast team and good conditions like i don't know could you do this in four hours like we'll see uh on skate skis so you know throw that challenge to the the next generation of, of fast nordic skiers um and hopefully they, they step up i hope i hope john and cam are going to listen to this i hope they just think <laughs> cam's a decent skate skier he, he he's he does some i coached with him last winter for uh the master's program in crested butte so he could uh he could maybe audible and switch switch teams. <laughs> well when we yeah, when we when they passed us, um when we were fixing Simi's pole, I was like, ah oh, damn, those guys worked out how to skate ski on their schemo gear. Like <laughs> they're whittling away at the advantage. Well, thank you guys for taking the time to do this and uh yeah, hopefully see you around out in the valley. Thanks a lot, Rachel. Sounds good. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the content you consume on Faster Skier, we encourage you to consider supporting us with a voluntary subscription. Learn more at fasterskier.com support. You can also rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast or share it with a friend or ski buddy who might also enjoy it.